Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Kind of like second rate to Mother's Day, let's be honest. Just got to get it out there. Mother's Day is good. There's still budget for the mothers. There's still energy. Kids do all the good stuff. What do fathers get? Colored in paper ties. I get them every year. They're amazing, and they say amazing things, but I get colored in paper ties, which is awesome, and it just feels like Father's Day is not quite the same. I mean, I don't next year, maybe we can flip it around. I don't know. Let's speak to some guys, see if we can get that right. I mean, uh, I did get away with some stuff for Father's Day, one of them being uh, our, our four-year-old was really not well most of last night. Eventually, a fever didn't break, so there was that decision in the family. Who's going to give the suppository? Only a father, a parent, a mother knows. Nobody wants to do that. But on Father's Day, I don't give suppositories. Sorry, darling. Bless you. Thank you so much for taking one for the team. It's a terrible thing having to give a suppository. Anyway, we're not going to go into the details of that. Be helpful. We're just going to press on. Okay, we're going to move forward. But we are in a series called Devoted. I'm not sure how you're going to preach your way out of suppository as a topic. So I'm just going to move forward. And, um, but devotion... And to be devoted, we are now in the third week, and as we stood at the beginning and before the series and the months leading up, as we decided probably two months before this series, that we really wanted to look at the scripture, and we wanted to look at this amazing community of Acts chapter 2, this community full of power, full of potential, full of life, and, and this community where it says, actually, everyone was looked after. There's this dynamic somehow that everyone in the community is looked after. It's supernatural because it's not natural to this world. This world where everyone looks after themselves. In this community, they're looking after each other. In this community, there's incredible honor. It says actually everyone around them, everyone in the world around them was in awe of them. Not just the church or other churches, but it says everyone around them was in awe of them. It says people were added to the church every day, all the time. People were coming because there was this fascination with something God was doing. I want all of those things in church. I have a desire. I'm not sure we'll ever fully see 100% of the very first church, but I want to give 100% to go after it because I believe it's a description of what the church could be for us. And if we navigate life in such a way that they did it and position ourselves in the way they did, I don't think there's any reason why we won't see the miracles, the life, the supernatural grace that they saw in those moments. So we drive ourselves, but there are these three lines that we've said a number of times, they devoted themselves. Who's the they? They aren't devotees. They aren't people who knew how to do church because there wasn't a church. There were no membership starting points like there are tonight. There were no like chairs or how do church meet? Do they sing songs? There was nothing. There was the way the synagogues did synagogue, but they've got this whole new story called Christianity, this whole new story called the gospel. Hello, bud. What's happening? And, um, and uh, this whole new story. And in that gospel, they're saying, well, we haven't had to do gospel life together. So how are we going to do it? Well, they, these people who get filled by the Spirit, who get called by God, get saved, 3,000 get saved, probably men, which means more than 3,000 got saved, are the early church and say, well, they just got on with it. And in them devoting themselves, there is this potential in life. I mean, devotion looks funny in these days. I took uh, my nephew, Lawrence, who's been with us for three years, that big strapping six foot one man over there is my nephew. It's quite scary. I reckon I could still take him. But, um, and, uh, but I took him for a drive around our most beautiful city. Who reckons Cape Town's pretty beautiful? Let's be honest. 
and I don't get out enough to go take it all in, how actually ridiculously beautiful our city is. But we went on Chapman's Peak Drive, as you do with tourists, and um, he's got his GoPro out the window. It's freezing cold. The kids are dying in the back from the cold, and one of them had a fever all night because the window was open while he's getting his GoPro shot. Not blaming you, but it could be. And um, he's never getting his photo, video footage on the whole of Chapman's Peak Drive, and then we come to a viewing point. You know those amazing viewing points? Up at the top, they, you come around the corner and there's that viewing point. There's some dude with this car parked and he's taking photos of his car <laughs> with the most beautiful ocean and mountains in the background. He's taking photos of his car. Why? Because he was devoted to his car. Obviously. He can't see anything else. He's devoted. There is a focus. There is a fixation. There is an agenda. There's a moment. And he had an Instagram to post. So he was going to do it. But devotion gets men and drives us and drives women into stories, lives bigger than themselves if we navigate them. And I believe this devotion that we're talking about, if we get it and understand that it's not just something, community is a word that's thrown around so loosely now, let's be honest. Like I'm in this, I'm in this table view community, I'm in this community, but what it means to join is you make a request, you join. To leave, you just leave. That's what community is. It's all on my terms. It's all about me. It's all about what I can get out of it. Once I've stopped getting out of it, I'm gone. And actually, Baal says, actually, no, they devoted themselves through thick and thin, through valley and mountain, through all the stories they devoted themselves. And we want to say, as we looked at this series, this community is something we don't do. Community is something we devote ourselves to. It's uncomfortable. It's hard. It's nasty. It's a whole bunch of stuff along the way. There's a whole bunch of highs and there's a whole bunch of lows. It's just called devotion. And as we sat before the series weeks ago, we said, what are some of the things we need to help the church with as we navigate this? Because it's difficult. And as we sat all those weeks ago, and as we've navigated what looks like and what gets tricky, one of them is this reality we spoke about, doing life together. The very first week, two weeks ago. Then the next week we spoke about, well, um, Gabe preached, and, and I asked him how it went. He told me he was very good. Yeah. As honest as Gabe is. Thank you, Gabe. That honest feedback. He said, spoke about doing big life in small groups. There's a, sorry. <laughs> Didn't mean to aim that at you. And then this week we said we wanted to look and part of where we need to navigate is doing courageous conflict well. Because yeah. we live in a world that doesn't do courageous conflict well. Number one, doesn't do courageous conflict. Just as conflict. But there's a biblical stand of doing courageous conflict of navigating these highs and the lows. And when we navigate those things well and we give ourselves to that process... We understand that there's a potential and a power in that, much of what looks like Acts chapter 2. Yeah. And I'm not standing here because I'm a master at it. I'm not standing here because I've got it always right. I'm standing here because the Word of God speaks to us and challenges us and says, you're never going to get to the other side, and you're never going to see the miracles that God's calling us to if you cannot navigate these things. Here's what the Bible says, and here's what our world reality is. Conflict is inevitable. Why do I say that? Because our world's broken. It's broken economically, it's broken socially, it's broken demographically, it's broken geographically, oh, not, not really geographically, it's a whole bunch of ease. There's a whole bunch of ways the world is broken, it's broken. And then a whole bunch of people in that story are broken and conflict is unavoidable. Whether it is an awkward conversation and there are these moments where you sit in a room and I'm with Michael and there's the unspoken thing of Michael's extravagant socks and I'm challenged by Michael's extravagant socks. So I don't say it's the elephant in the room, we just don't talk about it. Yeah. But that's on a flat and fluffy note. There are other things with family where conversations that haven't happened in 30 years, and I haven't spoken to my brother for 30 years, and I sit in counseling meetings with people asking me for more prayer meetings in church, but they can't pick up the phone to speak to their earthly father of 30 years they haven't spoken to. I'm saying, actually, you don't need another prayer meeting. You need to get on the phone, get on a plane, make a story happen, and allow God to break in in the miraculous. 
I, I don't know any other way. That lady has seen a miracle with her mother. Why? Because the word of God gets inside. It transforms us. It calls us to more. It says, actually, I want the miracles to come in these stories. I want Jesus to be revealed. This isn't about the church. This is about Jesus being revealed. And I'm telling you, if we understand these things and we get it, we understand much of what the gospel is about. That there's this reconciliation between man and God. It's awesome. God did everything. Jesus did it all. It's got nothing to do with me. And he says, I want you to outwork that in the ministry of reconciliation. But Paul speaks in a, Paul is pretty much a master of conflict. None of you know the Apostle Paul, but he's pretty much a master of conflict. He, he got put on a whole bunch of challenging scenarios. And he paints this picture in Romans chapter 12 in a tough context. He says, do not repay evil with evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. I mean, it's a, carries on. It gets quite steamy. He says, um, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll be heaping burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Understand this. The someone I have a fight with is not my enemy. The enemy is Satan. The devil is my enemy. God is going at the devil, but the devil used us to become things and people that get in the way to see enemies. I'm not your enemy, and you're not my enemy. There is an enemy, and the Bible's very clear about the enemy is. But these relational dynamics that get involved and get broken in church stories and in world stories and in family stories breed chaos. And the Apostle Paul says, actually, here's a couple of caveats, a grid. A grid is helpful. When you, when you lay a concrete slab, you lay a grid because you know where you're going to pour that thing. I learned this week as someone poured a concrete slab. I didn't know that. But um, there's this grid. Well, it's the same. He says, actually, if it is possible. Now, we do believe in everything is possible. The timings take time. It sometimes might take longer than you think. But if it is possible, wow. If it is possible, we preach about the God who moves mountains. How can relational brokenness not be possible when we worship the God who raises the dead? Uh, I don't know. And then he says, as far as it depends on you. What does it depend on you? If someone else has made a decision, an action, and it's their complete decision, there's nothing you can do sometimes. But as far as it is dependent on you, if you can shift, then you can move. And we always have to do navigate these relationship things. As far as it depends on you, make the move. It says, live at peace with everyone. I desire peace with everyone. I can't say I've got it completely. I can't say I'm perfect in that thing. I'm not presenting that. I am presenting that there's a reality that there's a biblical mandate to journey these things together, not just in the church. This is how the church reveals the glory of God outside of the church. But it's an unavoidable reality and it's an opportunity for grace every time. Every single time. Every time. I've got a family reunion in three weeks. I'm the youngest of four kids with three older sisters who are way louder and way stronger than me. I'm being honest. Not physically stronger. They are, they are, they might be, I don't know, but they, they, um, they are definitely vocally stronger. I was the quiet one in my family, and I know how it's gonna go. We're gonna get there, everyone's gonna be excited. And then my older sister, who's pretty much head girl and was head girl, and all that, she's gonna start navigating the family. And then my younger sister, just because, even if she likes the idea, it's not going to be the idea she wants to do, so there's going to be a family reality there. Then we're going to have to navigate this thing. Then my dad's going to try standing as the boss, and my youngest is going to tune How's it. And uh, that's called family. That's my imperfect one. And it's tough, and you've got to navigate these things, even though you love them. 
So you prepare and you understand that actually you're going to do these things well. Paul shows us that not all conflict is bad. It's not bad. How do I know? Well, look, Galatians chapter 2. He has a challenge with Cephas, who is Peter. Who's Peter? He's the guy who preached in the book of Acts. You know the one where 3,000 got saved and we get Acts 2.42 out of? That guy preaches and 3,000, probably men meaning more people than just 3,000 got saved. That guy, Peter, takes a wayward row, starts getting fear of man inside of him. And because he gets fear of man, he starts making bad decisions. And here it leads to conflict that leads to a gospel advancing in Galatians. So let's understand how actually conflict can lead to gospel advancement. When Cephas came to Antioch, that's Peter, I opposed him to his face. Hi, boy. What? Because he stood condemned. Why did he oppose him to his face? Because he was condemned. He's fighting for his brother. Says, you're condemned, buddy. In this journey, you're condemned. Says, for before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. I'm also afraid of the guys who belong to the circumcision group. Just saying. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas or Peter in front of all of them, a public moment, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? It's quite a radical thing. Think of the context. These are two big, big leaders in the early church story. It's like guys are looking to these guys. Where do we go? How do we navigate the church? And in a public moment of standoff, there is Peter the apostle and Paul the apostle, and they have a standoff. But Peter was wrong. He had come under the fear of man, was never going to, and was on a road to destruction, and he was taking Barnabas with him. So Paul rises up and to his face, first of all, and then in front of all his influence. That's why leaders get judged differently. That's why discipline for a leader in a church is different, because they have an influence that is different and navigate that kind of stuff. And if we understand that and we walk in that space and we get the freedom of that, on the other side of that, there is freedom and there is life. And it's okay. Yeah. And if we see the story, I want to tell you that the high points of history of God's people are not the easy parts when we navigate life and it's all going well. It's how we navigate not fleeing conflict, but we run towards it. Yeah. Not fleeing conflict. Moses didn't flee from conflict. God said, actually, I want you to go to the king. That is a conflict situation. I want you to go to the king. What did Moses could have done? Well, that's going to be conflict, God. Oh, it's going to get sticky. We're going to rub shoulders with each other. It's going to get awkward. No, no. I want you to run in. Jesus comes into a situation where he knows he will be crucified, where he knows he will pay the highest price, and he charges into a conflict situation. I want to tell you the high points of life and the high points of Christianity are not when we avoid it, but when we run into conflict situations with love and courage inside of us. And I haven't done this in the evening meeting. So, Michael, I need an example, please, buddy. I've done it in the morning meeting. I've done it in the two morning meetings and then the one at Milton. There, is, there, there are these ways that people have. And we've done it in our partners course at length. But there are these ways which people respond to, to challenge, to conflict, potential conflict. And so we're not going to use names. We're not going to use situations. We're just going to use animals. Is that all right? Who thinks it's easier to laugh at an animal? Then Michael, not then Michael responds like this. Don't laugh at Michael. But, but say a challenge comes and we have a standoff like this. There are these type of ways that we, ha- we handle. One, and the first one would be the tortoise. And maybe you could show us what a tortoise does, Michael, yeah? 
Now a tortoise, you have a conversation. First of all, a tortoise is an inquisitive animal, very seldom spotted in the wild, running free, moving slowly in love. But a tortoise gets challenged, and I come, hello, Mr. Tortoise, why did you park in my parking? And the tortoise goes and hides inside his shell. The tortoise hides inside his shell. And you go, well, Mr. Tortoise, we're just having, you can't even have a conversation. Who does this? We all do it. We think we hide our head in the sand when tough times come. Somehow, just by denying it and avoiding it and kind of moving on beyond, they think it'll be life. They won't be life. The second thing is, is a hair. It's like sometimes we can respond like a tortoise or we can get the way of a hare, which is, hey, when challenge comes and first conflict, this could impact me, this could become a problem for me, my first response is to, and he's gone. Watch those hamstrings, Mike. Watch those hamstrings. But, but as we navigate these things, we see, well, sometimes some people love to hide away and pull themselves in the shove and people are trying to help you. So I'm just phoning to see if you're okay, but you can't hear them because you're hiding in your shell. The second way is personal challenge comes, boom, I'm gone like a hare. What about the snake? Sometimes I just come, Mike, can we just have a conversation? And he's ready. He's, he's up. He's like a black mamba up on his haunches, two-thirds of his body off the ground, waiting to strike. And there's the striking thing. We don't even know why we're striking. But we're striking. Even though we love each other, we're striking each other. I know we laugh about it, but think about it. Put yourself in your own scenarios with your own family and your own work colleagues and your own situations. We do this. And the Bible says, I want you to be better so that Jesus can come. He can get all the glory and I can add people. It'll look like something supernatural called the local church. And the last one is the turkey. My personal favorite is the turkey. What happens in the turkey? Times get tough. The turkey gets big. It's a pretty useless animal. Let's be animal. But when a turkey gets flustered, animal. Animal is, is, is you guys don't know that word? The Greek is, um, no. And, uh, but, but on, this animal is pretty useless, let's be honest. I mean, good for a Christmas dinner in England. But, um, but the turkey, it doesn't have any defense. So the way it does, it just gets big. So I'm going to get big. I'm going to get big. And the, pos- and the turkey just makes itself bigger and navigates life by making itself bigger than everyone. Sit down, you turkey. And, um, and, and I think those are really helpful images because we've all seen it. I'm not preaching about how you navigate relations with people in church. I'm talking about how we do life. How we impact the world around us. We can start programs and feed the poor, but if we can't get this right, we have no authority to impact. I'm telling you, we have zero authority to impact. And as we navigate those things, we understand that God is more involved in His glory. He says, actually, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. That's Isaiah 40. After every valley has been lifted up and every mountain made low. God wants to lift up our valleys and our relational valleys and our ways of hiding away. And he wants to bring down our mountains where we turkey ourselves on the top and make ourselves bigger. Why? So that God can get all the glory. And when we navigate that and we say, God, I'm actually up for that story. We don't just accept the ways of the world. We say, Jesus, what have you called us to be? And he says, Matthew chapter 5, I've called you to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. I'm not a peacekeeper. I'm not a peace lover. I'm a peacemaker. Do I get it right every time? No, I've never claimed that. But we never get a journey of becoming like Jesus. And he says, I want you to be more like, you know how Jesus made peace? He gave his life on a cross. So that those who were at war because of their sin, shame, and guilt with the perfection of the Father could come in relationship to God, be reconciled by the Father. Jesus gave his life for peace. So he can be called the Prince of Peace. 
And when we get that, we understand that this journey is a real one, a powerful one, and on the other side of that journey, there is life and there is freedom. And we navigate those journeys with power and authority. It says, actually, because I want to tell you, we live in a world where it's all about my justice, and when I get justice, no, I want to tell you, justice, don't get justice at the cost of losing Jesus. Too many people are prepared to lose Jesus in the name of justice or even truth. I'm telling you, Jesus is 100% grace and 100% truth. And we lose either of those, we've lost Jesus. And we navigate these journeys, and I tell you what, it affects everything we do. And I want to teach you tonight, I want to see a little bit how. Not just what, what we're called to, but a little bit how we do that and how we navigate. Because I think we're really bad at it as the church. And I'm watching Christian leaders sending emails and writing public letters to each other. And the new way we sort the world is I write an open letter to someone, which actually means you're just a wimp hiding behind a computer, writing an email to someone you don't know and don't care about so that a whole bunch of other people think you're really cool. I'm sorry, but that's what it is. Because it's not a biblical way. And when the church starts doing things more like the world, we're in trouble. So he challenged us. And I want to give you, before I give a couple of steps. Actually, let me give the steps first and I'm going to come back to the hot tips. Because I know the hot tips are going to keep you on the edge of your seats. Is that all right? I want to, I want to speak through a process, a journey, and navigating a process like this. Because I think we haven't seen it modeled. And, and I think sometimes when we look at the Bible and we read the Bible, we forget to see what's actually going on behind the scenes. So we read Peter and Cephas and we think, oh, it's okay, they had a mumble. But it, God just wanted to tell us that grace is important and that the truth that we hold on to is important. No, that's not what's going on. It's also showing us how to navigate relationships. Because the first issue that happened was a relational brokenness outside of the presence of God, outside of the garden. Am I my brother's keeper? Brother kills brother. God says, no, that doesn't bring me glory. Number one, simple points. Be quick out of the blocks. This is the hardest one. It's the hardest one. It's, if, if something goes down, you know that, that, that when a, a tragedy strikes, the hardest thing to do is just identify it and bring it up. Number one, there's an elephant in the room. There's a relational brokenness. Let's just ignore it, avoid it, and act like it's not there. I want to tell you the biblical way and the biblical model and the Jesus way is to address the issue in the room, to bring it up in openness and honesty. And I want to tell you, if you're fighting for your marriage, start here. I've said for too many, are we just incompatible 30 years down the line? No, you just never had the courage to have the honest conversations that could have led to life and allowed God into that story. Honest conversations around things like money and sex and communication. Real honest conversations like I'm really challenged here. I'm dissatisfied here. I've got to verbalize something. And how that conversation is had is important. We'll talk about that. But I think there is a mandate because I want to tell you, conflict is like a wild animal. You turn and run, it'll chase you. And while it's chasing you, it will get bigger. And it will devour you. It will at least devour your joy. But if you face it head on and face it up front and give it opportunity for life and freedom, there's opportunity for breakthrough. I just want to give you courage for courageous conversation. I just want to give you license to say, actually, there's potential on the other side of that one conversation with a brother, a father, a boss. You know you're allowed to have courageous conflict with your boss? Do you know that? Because uh, I said with most people, and they spend their lives complaining to their spouse about their boss, but they never tell their boss about the issue because they are fearful of what might happen. I got offered the biggest promotion of my life in the job that I always wanted, and I had to go have a conversation with my boss saying, I'll take that job. I'm just telling you, I won't go down the marketing strategy that you've got in place. 
And she had every license to tell me, you don't get the job. And I said, second to that, in a work culture that finishes at 7 o'clock, I'm involved in church and I have a wife and I have a life, which means I'm going to leave at Hoppers 4 every day, but I promise you'll get more work out of me by Hoppers 4. She didn't know what to say. I was talking to a corporate lady, an amazing lady, but who had given her life to a corporate world. And those realities and possibilities are not even possible for her world. But I was just being honest with her. And she knew my desire was to honor her. Have a courageous conversation with your boss. Maybe you haven't had a raise in five years and you're just sitting there fearful you'll lose your job, but you don't want to have a conversation. I'm telling you, have the courageous conversation and trust God. But I'm going to give you some handles how to do that. Secondly, follow the correct steps. What are the correct steps? Well, Matthew 18 lays out for us something of navigating a tricky relationship with a brother or sister, potentially sin or brokenness in this thing. It's not complicated. And it says this, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. There's a whole bunch of things going on. I want to tell you the the target and the pinnacle of that is not the last one of excommunication. and That's not the desire. That's not Jesus' desire. He gives it all up to a friend and says, actually, go and point out the fault, the sin, the issue with your brother or your sister. And if they respond to you, you have won them over. That's the goal. And the problem is, it's not justifiable to do anything else. Oh, Gabe's a pastor, so I'm going to come and I'm going to sidle up to Gabe and say, Gabe, you know what? Yes, but my wife has been chaos. I mean, don't tell her, but, but I mean, literally, she just, it's just been chaos and, and uh, it's not going well, but I, just, I felt like I could just tell you everything about it because you're a pastor, obviously, so I'm going to navigate yeah. this thing by telling you. That's awkward for you. What, is it, what does he do with that? I say to him, actually, you know, sex is not good. Marriage is not good. Not community. What does he go? Uh, okay. He can't do anything about it. All you've done is put him in a very awkward situation, and we do it with people all the time. And you know what you've actually done? You've sinned. Because it's called gossip. Because the Bible says the only conversation you call to have is with your brother or sister. That person, whether it's your wife, whether it's your boss, whether it's whoever, the Bible mandate is to speak to that individual. And when you speak to that individual, you're allowing the potential of heaven into that broken situation to come. Is that okay? Is that too harsh? Is that like, wow, that's so different to the world? Yes, it is. It's called more like heaven. But when we navigate that, we understand the possibilities of freedom to come. I want to tell you, number three, take ownership of your stuff. We've all got stuff. We all bring stuff, and every time there's a conversation, we all get defensive, and we all start self-justifying. Who's ever self-justified? Because I'm telling you, if your hand's not up now, you're not telling the truth. We've all done it. We get good at it. And there's a challenge in this that we understand that God is calling us to a bigger story. Jesus challenges, says, you hypocrites, in Matthew 7, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Wow. But it's true. We are so good at spotting what's wrong in other people's eyes and other people's worlds. And we forget to see there's a big challenge going on here. And this says, just take ownership of your stuff. Even when there is a relational challenge, start the conversation by going, I'm taking ownership of my stuff. Some of the stuff you said is right. Some of the stuff you said might might be justified. Some of it might even be whatever. But uh, I'm just taking ownership of my stuff. I can't take ownership of your stuff. 
I can't, but I can take ownership of my stuff. Number four, love the person in front of you. Just love them. What do you mean, Mark? They've hurt me. They stole money from you. They've done whatever. Yes, that's going to happen. It's called life. It's called doing life in a broken world until Jesus comes back. And as we navigate these things, love the person in front of you. All you can do is love the person. Listen, hey, I know you hurt me, and you know you hurt me, and you know there's a whole bunch of stuff, and I could go down a road of feeling very sorry for myself and for 30 years not forgive you and carry this trailer load behind me that's going to slow me down for life for the next 30 years of my life. Or I'm going to trust Jesus, and I do what Jesus does, who gave and gave his life for a world who didn't even recognize him. He, he goes back to his hometown in Nazareth to minister, and, and they don't even see him. They don't even honor him. It says he couldn't get on in his hometown. It's a challenge. Why? Because we're not good at giving these things. I want to jump. Attitude adjustment. The Bible just says, Philippians 2, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. I'm preaching Bible, guys. I'm preaching not seven steps to the easy way out of conflict. I'm telling you the hard way through conflict that brings heaven on earth. Because that's the mandate. There's no other option. I want to speak to young people who aren't married yet, to older people who aren't married yet, and say, I want to tell you on the other side of learning to do this stuff well, with health and desire and, and good motive and Jesus' heart, there is freedom and liberty in life. And it'll save our relationships on many levels. So start by that. Speak truth in love. What do I mean? Well, number one, be honest with people. Speak truth. Be honest. Oh, we try to water it down and we try to make them feel better so we don't tell the real story. No, I'm just going to be honest about the story. But how am I going to do it is important. I'm going to speak truth in love. Yeah. In love. And it's a mandate. God so loved the world. And Ephesians 4 says, Instead, speaking truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head. Not everyone wants to grow, guys. Yeah. I've learned that. Not everyone wants to grow. That's why next week we're going to be speaking about Devoted to grow. Because the church is not just a, 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 a holding cell for Christians into heaven. The church is raising an army to go out and change the world. We're calling each other to grow. And I'm telling you, doing something like healthy conflict and courageous conflict causes growth. Causes opportunity for heaven to invade. I'm not going to speak about attitude, but I want to speak about reconciliation and resolution. Because this is where it all rests. The target of doing conflict well is not resolution. What do I mean? I'm not trying to get to the end so that if I have a conflict with Josh, that the end will look like Josh agreeing with me in a hundred percent. No, the end looks like reconciliation because I can see Jesus inside of Josh because I can love Josh because Jesus told me to, because I'm given the ministry of reconciliation Jesus gave us. And I'm given the model of Jesus who said, I actually didn't come that everyone would be on my page. I came to make sure that those who are far from the Father can come in relationship to the Father. That's why Father's Day is such an important day for the church. Because the journey and the gospel is about those who are broken coming back into relationship with the Father. And navigating that relationship. And I'm telling you, reconciliation is more about the future of a relationship than the reality of the immediate brokenness in the situation. We're going to have fights. I work with this guy. We lead the church together. We have fights. I win. <laughs> Most of the time. And, uh, <laughs> but it's going to happen, guys. If Jesus' disciples can do it, if the apostles can do it, we aren't 
I'm not God. I'm just a son of God becoming more and more like him. And when I learn to navigate these things, I understand that he took the first step to reconcile us. So my job is to keep running into these stuff with courage. Oh, Mark, I'm quiet and I'm gentle. I've never seen good confrontation. It's not about becoming loud and brash. It's about becoming like Jesus, mild, meek. You know what meekness is? It's not weakness. It's courage. It's confidence. It's strength. It's Jesus. And when we navigate these things, well, I promise you guys, we will see heaven on earth. And I'm tired of hearing people say, well, I'm going to pray about it for the next 10 years. Don't pray about it. Obey the word of God. Just do it. Just apologize. But don't do this. Walk up to someone and say, oh, I forgive you. You know, Ed, I forgive you, bro. What you're actually saying in your heart is, I'm saying something you want me to hear so that you say the thing I want to hear so I feel better. Actually, it's just a selfish motive. Make a decision before God that in your heart, deep down inside in the recesses and caverns, there is a forgiveness that comes by the Holy Spirit and by the power of heaven. And forgiveness has happened here. Boom. It doesn't matter what he says. And when it doesn't matter what he says, I am free. I'm not held down and held back and anchored to my pain and brokenness. I can move forward. Why? Because I'm brought forward by Jesus, not by Edwin's words over my life. There's one word that matters over my life. It's my Father in heaven. And when my Father in heaven says, run, I'm not going to be held back by the words of a Father on earth. He says, stay. Because one determines my eternity, the other doesn't. It's not a dishonor thing. It's a heavenly thing. It's an eternity thing. That, that wasn't even like a, what do you do in life? It's about who God is. Can I give you my hot tips while we're here? And then we're going to finish. These are just, I don't even know where they come from. Maybe just years of getting this wrong. Number one, and maybe we can put those up, is fear and navigating and fighting your fear. Don't fight people. See, often we fight people, but what we're actually fighting behind the scenes is our fear. That they might not like us. That if I go down this route, this person's not going to like us. And I'm never getting a whole bunch of insecurities behind the scenes. And God's saying, now bring those things to the fore. Why? Because I want to get deep down inside of your heart. Because your Bible says, actually, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound, my self-discipline. He says, I've given you a spirit of power, of love, not fear. So have that tough conversation with your boss in honor, in a way that honors them. And when we do that, there is power. Why? Because we are defeating fear by faith in Jesus, not by our ability to get this right. We aren't about becoming specialists in conflict, and so we don't go about creating conflict to get there. What we are on about is seeing Jesus break into the smallnesses and the recesses of our brokenness. Secondly, hot tip number two, honor the other person. Uh, uh, I've said honor is honesty. What about timing? What about timing? My wife is a morning person. She wants to have deep and meaningful conversations at quarter to six in the morning. I don't. I just, I don't even want to know I'm alive right now. I want to be deep in the dream somewhere, still running over mountains like a gazelle. I don't know what's, but, but, but I don't want to have deep and meaningful conversations. And when you grow to each other, to, to be humble and to navigate those relationships, to find actually sometimes there are good times to have to have conversations. So for my wife and I, we plan a time in our calendar sometimes, in the busyness of the world and a whole bunch of meetings, say, we're actually going to have a conversation at this time next week, and we're just going to put things. So come, prepared. We have a proper conversation just on the things that you can't shoot off the hip. I can't come out of my office preparing a meeting, uh, preparing for a preach, navigate, I come into the kitchen because I work from home and my wife goes, we've got to talk about this thing. I'm like, no, no, I can't. You ask me to go from there to here, I just can't do it. I'm a guy, we don't do. 
12 things at once. So honor in timing. And there are many other ways to honor, but find the, 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 the Bible says find out ways to please Him. Ephesians tells us about God. Find ways to please Him. I would say if you want navigatable relationships, you can put some effort into finding how to honor people. Because honor looks different to different people. Culturally, it looks different. Age-wise, it looks different. I want to say, assume the best, not the worst. Now, if there's a track record of stuff and year and year, but we don't live in that world. We live in a world where people assume the worst. And, I've, and, and, and I, I want to say, as I look at Paul, he goes into the worst church, the Corinthian church, says, grace and peace to you. I always thank God for the life I find, and he speaks life over them, but they're in chaos. Why? Because he's calling out the best in them. And as we navigate relationships together, let's be the people who assume the best. Well, like Mark didn't not come to our lunch the other day because he just wanted to spite me. No, Mark missed it. And I phoned him and said, Mark, how are you? Not where were you? There's a difference. If we do these little things, little things, there's potential breakthrough in heaven. Two more things. Give a gift. Give a gift. You know how God the Father reconciled the world to himself? A broken world. He gave the gift of his son's life. A costly gift. A strategic gift. A perfect gift. Maybe you're saying it's Father's Day, and Father's Day is a terrible day for me for every, because in my story, my father's distant. He's never phoned me. He walked away. He left my mom. He hit my mom. I want to ask you, sir, oh man, not for me and not for this preach and not for a video on a screen, but for breakthrough in your life and the kingdom of God to advance. Do these things. Take a hold and charge into the battleground. And watch as you run, the king of kings come past you running in. You won't be exposed. You'll be shepherded by a good shepherd through navigating waters that are difficult. When we do these things well, the kingdom of heaven invades. Even peace here now. We will trust God in these things. See, I could tell you how to pray for hours. And I believe in prayer and I want us to be praying for hours. I could tell you how to lay hands on the sick. I can tell you how to do all those things. But I'm telling you, Jesus gave us the ministry of reconciliation so we can bring heaven on earth. Let's be those guys. Let's rise up to a different standard, a standard that looks more like heaven than earth. Let's do this well and trust Jesus in the journey. Will there be potential pain? Yes. Is there potential for loss? Yes. But I'm telling you, more than anything I believe, on the other side of this thing with these measures and these grid in place for our lives, there is the potential for heaven to break in. We'll see miracles. People stand back in awe and say, that relationship was dead. That business partnership was dead. That guy took that guy to jail six years ago, and now they're in a life group together praying for each other. That looks like a sign and a wonder and a miracle to the world around us. I want that. I want that. I'll do my part to get that. I'll get on the front foot towards that. Why? Because God will get all the glory. Can I pray for us tonight? Jesus, we are here tonight. God, I've preached this message all day and every time I find myself repenting more, every time I find myself wanting to throw myself and immerse myself more in your grace and your goodness, to trust you more, to know you more. 
God, you are just looking for sons and daughters who will take courageous journeys to be like you. Not to fill chairs on a Sunday, not to say all the things that need to be said in the church. You're looking for sons and daughters who will represent you well in the toughest scenarios, not the easy scenarios. And I pray for courage in this room. Courage, courage, courage. Mark, you don't know how I've been hurt. No courage to you, sir. Courage to you, man. Mark, you don't know how I've been disappointed. No courage to you. Spiritual, supernatural courage to come upon you. To navigate life. To see life flow. Jesus came that we might have life and life abundance. He wasn't talking jokes. He wasn't hypothesizing. He said it's available in Him. And when we believe Him, and we trust Him, and we jump off the cliff sometimes saying, Jesus, only you can catch me, only you can hold me. And I feel like if I have this conversation with this parent, or the sibling, or this work colleague, I feel like I'm jumping off a cliff. Well, trust Him. Because on the other side of that leap of faith, there is a faithful king. On the other side of that leap of faith, there is a prince of peace who says, trust me. I am the God who spoke two words to the stormy seas. Be still. You think the waves of that relationship are too high? You think the wind's too wild? You think it's too risky? Jesus just says two words. Be still. I pray, Jesus, over hearts here tonight, be still. Over relationships and phone calls that need to happen out of this preach, be still. Over some who need to get on a plane to go see a relationship, be healed and restored. I pray, be still. That you would get all the glory, King, all the honor, all the praise. Amen. Amen.